Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. There is something exciting about a big reveal of someone's identity that we, that we don't know. There is much in our modern entertainment that actually builds upon this tension. Now you can likely think of examples of what I'm talking about here, and I have one. Um, I've maybe watched one episode of the show The Masked Singer in my entire life, but I have seen about 17 and a half million commercials for it. So I think I understand the premise. And every one of the commercials follows the same basic format. Now the premise of the show is that it is a singing contest, but the audience and the judges don't know who the people singing are. They are masked. Anyway, whenever I see a commercial for this show, the format of the commercials is the exact same. You won't believe who the singer that's being revealed this week is. And then they have some dramatic music, and then the faces of the judges. They can't believe it. They're in complete disbelief. They maybe even show some people in the crowd. They can't believe who is singing behind the mask. And you won't believe it either, because, of course, they're not going to show you on the commercial. They need you to tune in to the big reveal. You and I aren't shown who this person is. We are intentionally left hanging because of this feeling of the big reveal being something that will draw us in. You might actually be drawn into this simply because you want to know a secret. You want to know who it could possibly be that would shock these people so much. Well, imagine for a moment that the story of Joseph that has been told to us by the book of Genesis was told in a way similar to these big reveal shows. It wouldn't take much to flip the story to be told like this either, would it? All we would have to do is leave the activity of Joseph's life after he is sold into slavery, and instead of having deep insights into the life of Joseph, maybe we learn some more about Jacob and the brothers and how Jacob is mourning the life of his son Joseph, who he has lost, and maybe the brothers wondering about, oh, how they'll be found out. It would build a tension similar to this. And so, if the story was told that way, how different would our reaction be to what we've read this morning if you and I were unaware that for 17 years Joseph was in Egypt, and even though he was enslaved and imprisoned, he rose to power through his interpretation of dreams to be the governor in Egypt who is in charge of the distribution of food during this famine. Let's just say that it would be really easy to put together one of those commercials like I was talking about. The shock on people's faces, the the unbelievable nature of this would be a great way to promote an episode of the reality show of Joseph's life. Well, this big reveal is what we've been building up to here in the story of Joseph. Now, we know the true identity of Joseph, but the brothers do not. 
And the tension for us in the story as we read it is when will they find out? When will this be revealed? Joseph has plotted. Joseph has schemed. He has done things that make the brothers wonder how the Egyptians know so much about them. And then finally, the tension that we have been feeling is resolved in what we see here today. And so we come to the point in our weekly excursion through Scripture together where we break down the passage into points, and once again, we will have three. So the first thing that we're going to see today is Joseph being overcome with emotion and revealing himself to his brothers. We have seen that Joseph has been emotional before, but last week we saw the sacrificial attitude of Judah and his love for their father that has confirmed that Judah and the other sons of Jacob have changed and they have greater love and compassion than when in their jealousy they threw Joseph into into a pit and sold him into slavery. Secondly, we see that the emotion of the brothers, uh, the emotion that the brothers experience is fear. But Joseph tells them that he is not angry because he knows that what they meant for evil, God meant for good. And we can understand why the brothers would be in fear, but what we also have been brought along with Joseph through the story, haven't we? God has been at work through the suffering of Joseph to save the people of God. And finally, we see that Jacob and his family are brought to Egypt to be cared for along with Joseph. As I just mentioned, God has been doing this to save his people, and now, because of his sovereign work, the people of God are brought into abundance, and they're cared for because they are the family of Joseph, this powerful governor of Egypt. And as we drop into chapter 45 today, it's important that we refresh our memory a little bit in regards to what happened last week. The continued scheming of Joseph had the brothers leave Egypt. They thought everything was good. They got their brother Simeon back. Benjamin is coming home with them. Dad's fears about bad things happening to Benjamin are completely out of place. Everything is good. Well, the plotting of Joseph has something else happen to them, doesn't it? They are overtaken on their return trip, and in Benjamin's bag was Joseph's silver cup. Now, the way it plays out has Joseph saying that Benjamin would be a slave in his household. But instead of giving up on Benjamin, instead of allowing him to go into slavery, remember they sold their other brother into slavery, instead of letting their brother go into slavery in the household of Joseph, Judah is willing to sacrifice of himself. He shows love for his brother. And what a change we saw from when they sold Joseph to the traitors, when they sold Joseph into slavery. And it is with this response of love from Judah that we come to this first verse from our reading for today. We see that, that Joseph can't control himself anymore. We've seen his, him get emotional earlier in Genesis, But his reaction and decision to reveal himself here gives us the impression that this is what Joseph was looking to. This is what he was plotting all along. He wanted to reveal himself. He was testing his brothers to see if they had changed. And we see once again that he does not want people to see his emotional state. And so he has everyone leave. Last time that he showed his emotion, he left and he composed himself and washed his face. But this time, he stays. He doesn't go out and cry someplace. He stays because the purpose here is to reveal himself to his brothers. As we've been working through this narrative about Joseph, 
This part of the story is what we've been waiting for, right? Right along with Joseph, we can feel the emotions that are at work here. Can you imagine being in Joseph's shoes? You can understand why even those who are not in the room with them can hear him because he's weeping so loudly. In fact, as Moses tells us this story here in Genesis, he is deliberate to tell us just how loud and how emotional this is by letting us know that the house of Pharaoh heard it as well. We feel the degree to which Joseph is overwhelmed with emotion in this moment. And through the weeping, we see that he announces his identity. Now, we don't get any indication of how long Joseph wept, but regardless of the amount of time that he was weeping, you have to appreciate just how awkward this situation must have been for the brothers. They must have been wondering, what in the world is going on? I mean, why is this guy crying like this in front of us? What in the world is this? And then, wow, boom, this bombshell is dropped on them. This is their brother. Now, we haven't had too many opportunities to have sympathy for the brothers, but you've got to feel for them in this moment. They must have felt every range of emotion that is possible. Joy that their brother is alive. Sorrow and guilt for what they did to Joseph. And we get the idea that the most powerful emotion that they experienced was fear. And I think you can totally understand why. Every one of us has had that experience of being found out when we've done something wrong. And I'm sure you were afraid of the consequences you were going to receive, whether it was from a teacher, a a principal, your parents. You let them down, you did something wrong. What is the consequence going to be? And you can imagine with the power that Joseph wields in Egypt that this fear, that the idea of punishment is at the forefront of their minds. But we get the idea that Joseph is not bent on revenge because the focus that he has is not on himself. The focus that he has is on his brothers. The first thing he wants to know is, is their father really still alive? Not a question you ask if you're going to kill the ten brothers who were involved in selling you into slavery. But the brothers are still overcome with fear, and you and I would be as well. I'm sure we would be unable to answer in that situation just as they were. But we're going to find that Joseph, Joseph sees the big picture. Joseph understands what God has been doing in his life. And we get a sense of the love that Joseph has for his brothers and for his father as he calls them near to him. And he tells them, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourself. Joseph clearly understands the way his brothers must feel for what they did to him. This is worse than being found out by some random person about what you've done. They have to face the very one that they have wronged. And Joseph wants them to understand that while they were the ones who did wrong to him, God was at work in all of it. They meant to destroy his life, but God flipped that on its head because Joseph tells them that God did this to preserve life. They meant death, 
but God used it for life. And Joseph has really good theology here, doesn't he? Joseph understands that God, in his sovereignty, has worked this evil together for good and to save his people. And as Joseph's explanation to his brothers continues, we get another indication of the passage of time here. The famine has been going on for two years. So do the math with me here. I'm not great at math, but even I can put together the numbers on Joseph's life here. But still, check my math because I am bad at it, but I think I got it right. Okay? So it was 17 years from the time he was sold into slavery until he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh and rose to power. So 17 years there. And we know from the interpretation of those dreams that the years of plenty, where they were going to build up the amount of grain, were going to be seven years. And now Joseph indicates that the famine has been going on for two years. So even this guy right here, who dislikes math very much, so much so that it was the last college class I took, I, put, I procrastinated, Literally, my last undergrad class was my math class I had to take. Even I can figure out that 17 plus 7 plus 2 gives us a total of 26 years. So let me say that again for effect. 26 years. This drives home to us how the plan of God was working slowly and quite painfully for Joseph But that doesn't change the truth of what was happening, what was going on. Joseph tells them that they've made it this far with only needing to come for grain twice, but there are five more years of this. And we see the trust that Joseph has in the plan of Almighty God when he says that God is the one that sent him before them into Egypt. Now that is a bold statement of faith because you would think there would be better ways to save the people of God from a famine. But Joseph sees that God is working in all of this, and he has had his hand in it all, even though it was difficult for Joseph. None of that matters. It's about God rescuing his people. It's not about Joseph's own personal convenience. Instead, it's about what God is doing. And as we saw last week, this points to the work of Jesus for us. God works through suffering to save his people. And we see and feel the truth of of this, that God's hand has been the one doing all of this. This family has been separated for 26 years. And now they end up in front of Joseph to get food in this famine. Who else could accomplish this? Who else? What other than the sovereign hand of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could bring them together after 26 long years? And Jacob uses this tr- or Joseph uses this truth to comfort his brothers, doesn't he? It wasn't you. It wasn't you guys that sent me to a life of slavery. It wasn't you guys that sent me to a life of imprisonment. It was God. A bold statement. But we've been following the story. And we have seen this truth on display. How else does a Hebrew come to even be a father of Pharaoh, as it tells us here in this text? He has has had great influence on the direction of Egypt. And the point here being made with this statement of being a father to Pharaoh is that even the Pharaoh, 
Even the main guy has followed the direction of this Hebrew slave, this Hebrew prisoner. And Joseph says that the purpose of all of this is to preserve a remnant. God is going to save his people. God is going to preserve his people. Joseph believes in the covenant promise. He believes that his family is special in the sight of God. Even though they are just a small band of people in Canaan hoping to inherit the land, he knows that God is the one who blesses them and will bless them. For he is the God who keeps his promise. He has promised to give them the land. He has promised that from them would come the one who will crush the head of the serpent. Joseph believes that God has made this promise, and Joseph believes it by faith. And so with this belief in God's purpose for his people, Joseph says that they should go and bring Jacob and their families to Egypt. And he tells them to bring Jacob and and tells them to tell him, where they will live, and they will live well while they're here. They're to go to Jacob and share how God has blessed Joseph. And after this instruction, we see arguably the most beautiful scene in this whole story. Jacob falls on his brother Benjamin's neck, and he weeps. And Benjamin weeps. 26 years. His brother thought he was dead. But now they are united. Joseph was separated for those many years, and Benjamin would have thought he was dead for all of those years. But now they're together. Now they're united. God has brought them together again as a family. And we can understand the feeling that Joseph has here for his brother Benjamin. They share a mother, and their mother is gone. And not only that, but Benjamin was the brother who wasn't involved in selling him into slavery. But notice that this isn't just about Benjamin. We read that he kisses all of his brothers and he weeps on all of their necks. And then we see that the brothers believe him. They talk with him. They put their trust not only in Joseph, but they understand the truth that this has all been the plan of Almighty God. And we see that Pharaoh's house hears of this and the strength of the royal household gets behind the idea of this move. And so this is significant. Remember that the family of Jacob has become substantial over the years. For them all to move to Egypt, as Joseph has suggested, it would be difficult, and it's a famine. They they need to move a lot of people, a lot of possessions. And so Pharaoh sends wagons to bring them all to Egypt. And notice what he says here. Hey, don't have concern for your goods. The best of Egypt is yours. In the midst of famine... Pharaoh is saying, Joseph is so important that we're going to give you the fat of the land. And so the brothers do this. And you might be a little surprised that they do this so quickly without much apprehension. But look at the, look at the circumstances here. There is a famine. They were living a life of rationing food to their families. And now they're going to live a life of plenty in the midst of a famine. You know, how and I would, you, you know how you and I would respond. Hey, there's a famine. We'll take whatever you give us, Pharaoh. Uh, bring a bus for us to bring our family over. You back the U-Hauls right back up to our property. We'll load up. We're coming. We'll go to the land of plenty. This is why they made that decision so quickly. Egypt, here we come for a reason. 
they understand what a blessing this is. They understand that God is preserving them. And as they head out to get Jacob and their families, there are some interesting little details here that we don't want to miss. The first one is that Joseph gives the brothers provision and a change of clothes, but notice what he does. He gives Benjamin more clothes, and he gives him 300 shekels of silver. Clearly, he has a special tie to Benjamin. Clearly, he is the favorite brother. And he also sends good things from Egypt to Jacob, so much so that it takes 10 donkeys to haul it and 10 more female donkeys with grain and other provisions for Jacob's journey to Egypt. He also understands that it might be difficult to convince his father that he's still alive. So he's sending this stuff ahead to let him know that they have this abundance. And an interesting detail in verse 24, the last verse that you'll see up here, is that Joseph tells the brothers not to quarrel on the way. What, what's that about? That sounds like something a parent would say, not something a brother would say. What's the deal with that? Well, we don't know exactly what he means there, but we are able to speculate what he means here, and it is educated spec- speculation. These brothers have to sort out how they're going to inform Jacob that their brother is still alive. Remember what they did. They tore his robe, they put blood on it, they told him that he was eaten by an animal. Yeah, you looking forward to telling Jacob that Joseph's still alive? He thinks Joseph is dead. So this has all led to something good. But even if you are showing up with all this good stuff, do you really want to go tell your father that you sold your brother into slavery and you deceived him to think that he was dead. Yeah, that's probably why they were going to quarrel. There is plenty to quarrel about. No, it was you. No, it was you. No, it was you. Hey, I didn't want to go along with it. You know how, I don't know how many weeks it would have taken, maybe months for them to travel to Egypt, or from Egypt to Canaan, in the way they were traveling, but you know that discussion would have happened the whole way. That's why Joseph wants them to just go get Jacob and return. He doesn't want to mess with all that mess Joseph has forgiven him. He understands what God has done. He just wants them to return with their father. And so we get an interesting description here as this passage closes up with Jacob's response. His heart became numb, it tells us, when they told Jacob that Joseph was still alive. Now, I think you and I can understand this, can't we? I mean, it's been 26 years. You would be doubtful too. You have been grieving the loss of a son for all these years. How do you flip that? How do you believe that? Our hearts would be numb to the truth as well. You would wonder how this is possible, even though it was being told to you by the people who told you your son was dead. Even even though they say, hey, we were lying before, you would still struggle to believe this. Your heart would be numb as well. It would be hard to believe that good news. But eventually the words of Joseph that are relayed to their father are believed. His heart comes awake. We go from Joseph being described as having a numb heart to having his spirit revived. What a change. And we see in the words of Jacob that he believes him and he wants to see his son. He states that he will go and see him before he dies. Now Jacob sure seems to talk about death a lot, doesn't he? He's going to go down to the grave in sorrow if Benjamin doesn't return to him. And now he just wants to see Joseph before he dies. And we get the idea here that Jacob is old and that reuniting with Joseph will be an important thing at the end of his life. 
It's important because we see that the, the promise will need to be passed on. And we also see yet another generation that is going to die off. We've been reading the story of Jacob and the story of the generations of Jacob, and we're getting the passage of time here, how the promise is continuing. But notice what hasn't happened. Where are the people going? What's going on here? They're moving to Egypt, and Jacob is going to die. They haven't received the promised land yet, have they? God has made it clear they will inherit the land, but now they're going to Egypt. So in Jacob, we're actually seeing that he's going to end up further away from the promised land than what he started. In fact, it almost seems as though the promised land isn't even going to be necessary. Yeah, God made the promise, but man, they're going to be in Goshen. They're going to be in the best land of Egypt. They're going to have abundance. Who needs the promised land? That's what we're meant to feel here. That they're moving away. Is the promise of God still going to last? Yeah, God has, has saved them. He's saving them through the famine, but will the people become content with the abundance of Egypt, or will they still desire the promise of God in the promised land? We know that God has made the promise. We know that he is preserving his people. He will fulfill what he said to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, but we're feeling the tension here. Jo Jacob is going there to die. Will the people still trust in the promise? But we also see something important. Jacob isn't going to die in the promised land. He's not going to inherit it. And what's important there is that the promise isn't about Jacob. It's not about Jacob. It's about the faithfulness of God. It's about the truth that God preserves his people. He creates a people for himself. He creates a remnant for himself. And God keeps his promise to his people. And that's once again where we land for our application for ourselves this week. This story of Joseph is absolutely beautiful. But as I've said before, this story isn't ultimately about Joseph, is it? The main character in this story is not Joseph. The main character in this story is God. The God who has made a promise. And the God who keeps His promises in the most difficult of circumstances. That we might see, that we might understand that God is the one that we need. We need to rely on Him. He is the only one who can do this amazing work of saving His people and so I call us back to the great statement of faith made by Joseph earlier in this chapter. God sent Joseph before his brothers to save him. In Christ, we have a brother who in our very own flesh has gone before us we deserve the wrath of God for our sin, but God had a greater plan for His people. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ before us to pay the price for our sin and to go through death for us, His people. And He was raised from the dead that we might not have to face the punishment for death. And now He has ascended to the right hand of the Father we have a brother who has gone before us on our behalf that God might save us, his people. So may you and I daily understand that the hand of God is on our lives. 
And we, may we daily remember the way that He has brought us to Himself, that God has been at work to save us, to bring all things together for good. And may we respond in gratitude. May we respond in faith. And may we trust that He has done all of this for us, that He might receive the glory for saving a remnant for Himself. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website, edgertonfrc.org, or our Facebook page.